and then we're going to get into the last few verses of both books. Father, as we bring to a close another study and another, um, another book, uh, two books really, Lord, we're, we're reminded of just how diverse the scriptures are, um, how extraordinarily different the expressions of faith and journey and, and belief are, and yet so united in your spirit. And Lord, as we look at these last few verses, as we, as we hopefully are encouraged by the Apostle Paul, and his words to the Thessalonians, Lord, we just ask that you would, uh, again, open our hearts and our, our eyes and our minds and our souls to not just the written word, but the living word that Christ revealed in, in the scriptures is Christ revealed to us, both as, as a church and as individuals. And that as we see him, we may learn to be more like him and to minister and serve a world that needs to hear from him. And we pray this in his precious and holy name. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 5, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're going to read the, the benedictions. Now, uh, the word benediction um, is not a common word in English anymore. It comes from Latin, uh, benedictus, uh, the good saying. Something you say at the end uh, is generally called the bene, good dictum or dicta uh, speaking, so to speak well at the end. This is very common um, in both Jewish and Roman letters in the first century. You generally open with uh, what we would call a doxedicta or a, um, a, a, a word of praise, a word of worship, and you'll see that with Paul. He often does that. Uh, and then he ends with a benediction, uh, a benedicta. Uh, and the ending statement. We're going to read first, First Thessalonians, and uh, chapter five and verse twenty-three. We're going to read them one after another, but you'll be able to sit there and kind of draw lines between uh, how similar they are. First Thessalonians chapter five and verse twenty-three. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you to, is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And then just over one page in most Bibles, Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Uh, now that little tag at the end of Second Thessalonians, just so you know, it seems like when Paul... Uh, when Paul wrote his letters, uh, we're not exactly sure, but it, it, it may be that Paul was extremely nearsighted um, or uh, struggled some way physically to write. Given everything that his body went through, that we know that the number of times that he was, he was attacked, stoned, whipped, left for dead, see, you know, um, uh, um, uh, um, cast away in, in, from a boat, uh, 
it's very likely that he probably had extreme extreme arthritis. So he may have literally, he says in one of the letters, see how large a hand I write with. He may have just written really big um, because it was hard for him to write. Or he may have been nearsighted or something. But there was something about Paul's uh, handwriting. Um, and what he would do, and this was very common in the ancient world, um, somebody would, you would dictate your letter uh, to a scribe. And that scribe would write the letter out in a nice legible Greek um, so that everybody would be able to read it. Um, and if you've ever tried to, uh, if you've ever tried to write something uh, legible, now some of you, some of you I'm sure have absolutely gorgeous handwriting and it's consistent all the time. And at home you just have journals filled with flowing cursive and it is completely comprehensible. Um, uh, I have I have a particular way of writing, and and I I you know when I, I write a certain way, I tend to print. I don't write in cursive a lot. Um, I used to write in cursive all the time um, before uh, optical character recognition became a thing, which is you take your written thing and take a picture of it with your phone, and it turns into text. So I started printing because of that. But I have a you know I have a way of writing. I use certain pens, and I I have this thing. But I don't know about you, you can start out writing a letter to someone and you start out with the perfect, just right. But then after a while, the letters start to kind of turn sideways and then they start kind of breaking up off the line and you start shaking your hand. I don't, do people still physically write? You guys, you guys still do this. I mean, I know my daughter hasn't put pen to paper except for a school assignment or a drawing in a long time. She's like, tick, 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 tick. But, but you know, most of the, you, you sit there and write, but your hand starts to get tired and your handwriting, I don't know if you've ever had the thing happen where you're taking notes and you're falling asleep while you're doing it and you thought that you had written really good notes and then you go back and look at it and it's just a line, right? Um, I have college notebooks that still have that. I was like, this was an important point. Um, the castle of, oh. Um, but uh, the... There's usually, as you go, your hand your hand gets tired. You you kind of get distracted. So what they would do, because there was a specific way of writing uh, Greek, and um, and there were conventions that were used because you'd use up all the paper. So all the words, there were no spaces between the words, no punctuation. Um, everything was just based on syntax. And so you had somebody whose job was to write for you. And what Paul seemed to have done is at the end. Of, at most of his letters, and particularly in these two, he seems to have taken a moment and written his own ending to let everybody know it was genuinely from him. Now, there's a lot of reasons he could be doing that. He could be doing it because there were a lot of letters circulating with his name on it um, that were not his. That could be happening. Um, he may just have liked to put his little note at the end. Um, he, he just liked to sign everything so that they knew that it was his. He does this at the end of these two letters, um, and uh, he he both he he doesn't really say it overtly in First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians. He does that these benedictions are from him uh, personally. So he's written this whole letter, and now he's going to give this benediction. And he opens both with this statement. He says, "Now may in First Thessalonians he says, now may the God of peace.' And in the Second Thessalonians he says, "Now may the Lord of peace." People are like, "What's the difference there?" There is no difference between those two. Uh, God, the Greek word God, Theos. Um, the Greek word Lord, Kyrios. Um, really, they're used interchangeably um, by New Testament authors. There's, it's not really that there's any theological significance to there. But he has this formula: "Now may the God of peace, or now may the Lord of peace, 
Um, and this is an opening of what we would consider uh, a liturgical benediction. Now, the word liturgy uh, gets kind of a bad rap in, in the modern world, but the idea of liturgy is public act of worship or a public reading, um, a public statement. Um, that's all the word means. Um, and the idea of kind of a very formal liturgy, like you see in some very hierarchical churches, um, comes from the idea that if you're going to do it in public, you better do it right. I mean, that, that's kind of the, uh, the idea. Um, and comes from the Middle Ages when, when priests and, and ministers didn't necessarily speak the language. Uh, all church services were done in Latin in the Middle Ages. You had a lot of people that didn't speak Latin, um, and so they would just kind of mumble. You know, of course, in, in the Latin church, in, in the medieval church, the, the priest was facing the front, um, and so you couldn't see his mouth moving, and you couldn't hear him, so he just kind of went, hocus pocus. And that, that is actually where Hocus Pocus comes from. Um, Hoc est Corpus Christi. Um, this is the body of Christ in Latin. And they couldn't say that, so they just said Hocus Pocus. Um, and, and there's theology behind that. Um, liturgy is just public worship. Well, we know that Paul's letters were meant to be read publicly. And so this is a signal that this is the end of the letter. Now may the peace of God, and probably... When they started to hear that phrase in the ancient church, they probably all knew this was the end of the letter, and they probably stood up and recited these, um, these benedictions to uh, one another. Paul had given it to them. They gave, they gave it to one another. It was very common in the ancient church for people to be reciting back and forth these kinds of things. And so we have these, these formal uh, statements, now may the God of peace, or now may the Lord of peace. So rather than getting into all the details of these benedictions, I want to hit the common themes. So I have, I have three things that I want to I point out in both of these benedictions. The first one is this statement, the God or Lord of peace. And I want you to think about what we've been talking about for the last three months or so as we've been in 1 Thessalonians. This is a church that is in crisis. This is a church that's under pressure. They have lost. Brothers and sisters have died. They're concerned about what's going to, what the future is, is going to be like. And so Paul opens his closing. He opens his closing. Um, Paul begins, the, begins this benediction with the statement, Now may the God of peace. Because these are hurting people. And they need to hear that God is a God of peace. When we go into the Old Testament, so often what people focus on, especially if you do take like a, in college, you take a Bible as literature course, they will talk about all the violence in the Old Testament. They'll talk about, oh, look, this is a God. And, and there are Psalms where he's called a God of war. And, and David prays, strengthen my arm that I might strike with my sword. I mean, there's, there's definitely, there's this sense. But God is not only a God of war, God is a God of peace. And peace defines um, our relationship with him. The Apostle Paul says that we have peace in Christ. And so the God of peace, when he evokes the God of peace, he is speaking to a hurting people. But he does not just say that God is a God of peace and therefore you just, you know, accept it. He he fills these benedictions with what I would call, for lack of a better, a better term, um, broad universal language. 
Look at the number of times, just as we read through, look at the number of times he says all or whole or every. In 1 Thessalonians, he says, um, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Um, he says, may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. Um, <clears throat> he, who will, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Verse 26, greet all the brothers. Um, verse 27, read the letter to all the brothers. When we go over to 2 Thessalonians, we see, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, in every way. The Lord be with you all. Over and over and over, he uses this, this broad, inclusive language. He wants us to understand that peace is not just about a part of me, not just about a part of us it's about all of us when he describes peace and he says in first thessalonians 23 he says uh, may the god of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ he is speaking to us in in terms of our entire being now theologians will sit there and argue about um are are we body and spirit are we body and soul are we body and spirit and soul are we soul and spirit and body and and they want to debate endlessly how the combination works and i don't care what matters is here he says may your whole spirit and soul and body he's talking about you are a suffering person the people in the thessalonica were were suffering they were hurting they were in pain and paul wants us to understand something about the god of peace that when the god of peace works on us and and is bringing us into through whatever difficulty we are facing he brings all of us through it our whole being not just part of us we have in our we have in our our modern world this this false dichotomy um and and there's an oversimplification of of the complexity of scripture and people say things like you are a spirit you have a body and and we at first we hear that we go well that that's that's good you know i mean we're spiritual beings but that actually comes from an ancient heresy, the idea of Gnosticism, that the body is evil and the spirit is good. And so you are a good thing living in a corrupt, evil thing. Now certainly the scriptures talk about there is sin in the body. The Bible talks about sin in our members and, and, and all of those things. But your body is not just something you inhabit. It is you. I mean, wouldn't we all agree about that experience? I mean, if you break your leg, you don't go, ow, that leg. Right? You say, ow, my leg. You, you, know, you know, if you, you, uh, you don't, you know, you eat, you're lactose intolerant and you eat something in cheese, you don't go, someone's belly hurts. You say, ow, my stomach. And it affects, right? It doesn't just affect your body, right? When you're in pain, when you're in grief, it doesn't just affect your brain, all right? It affects your body. Uh, sometimes we we you know we sit there and we go I don't know why you know I don't know why I'm I'm I, my my back hurts or or my knees hurt or or this that or that my my wife insists that I funnel all stress into my back being itchy 
which may be true, and it's probably too much information for you. Um, but, but, the, but we all do that, right? We, and we tend to think that something that happens in our mind or a relationship, that won't have any effect. It doesn't have any effect on our body, but it does. And things that have, ha, affect our body have an effect on our spirit and our soul, don't they? I mean, when you're going through a physical problem, you, you're, your brain's not going, well, the body's suffering, but I'm fine. You know, all of you is suffering. And when we try to take that suffering and we, we say, well, this is only happening to my body or this is only happening, you know, it doesn't... That, that false division, and there's complexity to how all these pieces fit together, but the reality is you are all of you. And God is willing to bring peace to all of you. Now, that does not mean, and I want to emphasize this, does not mean that all your problems go away. Peace is not the absence of pain, grief, or difficulty. Peace is finding our identity as we suffer in Christ. That our whole being is devoted to Him. That our, our hearts, our minds, our bodies are devoted to to him may the god of peace himself not only do we sometimes experience this dichotomy in the fact that or this this holistic thing in that sometimes our brain suffers and our body body pays the price or vice versa or spiritual struggles have physical manifestations but th- there's there's also a sense um, in which these pieces of our of our being sometimes we we have them in conflict and Paul even describes this in the book of Romans. He says, he says the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He says there, there's conflict sometimes. There's, there's struggles. There's, there's difficulty in getting myself to be fully integrated as a person. And, and honestly, the Western world does a really bad job of doing this. Um, and and it's, it's been the the cause of a lot of like the holistic medicine things because there's value to the idea that your brain processes affect your ability to heal your body there's something there are spiritual problems that have physical problems and sometimes they're in conflict now the illustration i use of this is a deep and profound one the incredible hulk Uh, the Incredible Hulk was my superhero when I was a kid. Other kids had Superman underoos. I had the Incredible Hulk underoos. Um, at, when I was a kid, the Incredible Hulk was on TV. How many of you remember Lou Ferrigno as the Incredible Hulk? All right. Now, Lou Ferrigno as the Incredible Hulk, in comparison to the CGI Incredible Hulks that we've had lately, is not as impressive. But I just, you know, that when I grew up, the Incredible Hulk was Lou Ferrigno, shaggy beard, going, ah, right, and always ripping his shirt and always wearing purple pants. No matter what color the pants were that David Banner was wearing, the Incredible Hulk had purple pants on. Um, it was amazing. His superpower was to change the color of his pants. Um, but and he would he would rage and you know and the whole shtick about the Incredible Hulk is that it's basically um, it's based off of Jekyll and Hyde. That there's this there's a, a really intelligent side and there's this bestial side and they're separated. And in the 90s, um, because I was a big comic book nerd, and the early 2000s, there was a whole move of integrating what was called the Professor Hulk. That they, they brought Banner and the Hulk together into one person. Of course, 
course, he did it through psychoanalysis because, um, you know, superpowers. And um, th- he came together and he became both an intelligent and incredibly strong uh, superhero there for a while. Of course, that didn't sell comic books. Eventually, they split him up. Um, but, but the whole idea that there are two sides of you or three sides of you and they are in conflict. The God of peace wants to bring all of us into harmony. And not only with ourselves, but with him and with others who are being brought into harmony with him. It is peace in our being. It is peace resolving personal internal conflict. Now, uh, although this isn't the text, and I'm not going to get into all the practical stuff of this, but you guys know I usually have a very simple response to most of these things somebody says well how do i how do i find that internal peace maybe i my body i I am in that turmoil the number one thing you have to do before you can do anything in any situation is be honest about what's really going on you have to be honest with yourself you have to be honest with others and that's difficult for us to do but part of peace is honesty How do you find peace with God when you are doubting God? You have to begin with being willing to express your doubts. How do you find peace with yourself? You have to be honest with yourself. Um, My dad, uh, infamously, um, does not have a set of middle gears. My dad goes from neutral to fifth. Um, in everything he does. So at one point, about 15 years ago or so, he decided he was going to lose weight. Now, if you've ever met my dad, um, and some of you have, Bob has not, um, he, he desperately wants to meet my dad. Um, one day I'm just going to have him come up and, and preach, and that's a guarantee that Bob will be on vacation somewhere. Um, but, uh, but my dad decided he was going to lose weight. Now, my dad... It was not uncommon for my dad and I to show up at the Ponderosa Buffet in in, uh, Cumberland, Rhode Island for lunch and stay until they closed. So my dad decided he was going to lose weight. He reduced his intake to um, basically a teacup of rice and a piece of meat once a day and walked five miles a day and lost a bunch of weight. And everybody's like, oh, he looks so good. Now, I'm just going to tell you, that's not how to lose weight. In case anyone's wondering. My dad has uh, what, is, what is basically a complicated calcification issue with his body. And his Achilles tendons calcified. And he kept walking until he started to literally rip his tendons off of his feet. And finally, his doctor said to him, Stop! You are destroying yourself. No, no, I got it under control. I got it under control. And unfortunately, wrecked his ability to walk. Um, and there's a lot of other things going on. He, he basically, first gear to fifth gear, this is how he operates. And, I, and I'm like this, so I have to be careful that I don't do these kind of things. I'm infamous for going in the gym and thinking I can still bench press 320 pounds like I could when I was 19. I cannot. All I'm going to do is blow out my, my shoulders, my back, and my neck. Um, this, this idea of 
you know, not addressing the reality, trying to force your way through a problem without ever actually addressing what's really going on, uh, without dealing with the pain honestly and truthfully, and being willing to hear yourself be honest, because God brings peace. Um, peace requires that we see our spirit, our soul, and our body. I didn't want to camp on that. I got a that's a whole other um, idea. But but God God to bring peace, you've got to be realistic about it. You've got to be honest about it. Why do churches get into conflict? Because people are afraid to be honest. We talked on on uh, on Wednesday night. We were talking about uh, biblical leadership, and and uh, D mentioned um, D mentioned the idea that people don't mention problems with leaders because they're afraid of the response and of course when you don't tell somebody that there's an issue they don't know that there's an issue any of you guys have the problem i have that you just assume that everybody else sees whatever problems you see and therefore if no one mentions anything you just assume there's no problems anyone like that you guys no okay i do that um i said or my other side is i just assume everybody else sees it so they already know so i don't need to bring it up Neither of those are true. Um, we have to be realistic. We've got to be realistic with ourselves. We've got to be realistic with one another. And one of the things, Dee mentioned this thing about leaders and how if a leader, nobody ever criticizes, not criticizes, but nobody brings up issues or problems, the leader doesn't know there are issues and problems, and that magnifies the problem because they continue to do something that has a problem. Um, and, and how does this work in churches? Well, I mean, any of you that have been in a church conflict, you discover that there are people who, you know, are on two completely different pages and have no idea how to be honest and truthful about it. They don't know how to get to the middle anymore. Um, same thing happens in marriages. Uh, Greg Jones used to say, because Greg was a, a family lawyer, he would say the number one problem that he runs into is that people know they lose the ability to communicate meaningfully. It's called complementary schismogenesis, if you really want to know. Um, that's right. That's right. Complementary schismogenesis. Um, it's the it's it's when two sides actually manufacture schismo schism, genesis create complementary. Two people trying to fix a problem actually make it worse in their process. They create more of a divide. We do this to ourselves. We don't know how to fix. We don't know how to be honest with ourselves physically, but spiritually as well. We sit there and say, I'm not being fed. How, why am I not being fed? It's because I'm out of harmony with Christ. I'm out of harmony with myself. I'm not being honest about issues that I'm dealing with. And Paul says to the church, I, may, God, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May he make you holy May your spirit and soul and body be cut blameless and bring you into harmony with him. There's a third side of this, and I actually meant to camp here, but I'm not going to be able to. Don't worry, I won't preach a second sermon. Um, one of the, the biggest things I want you to notice here is how personally invested Paul is in this benediction. He wants the church to find peace. He says, I, he says brothers, pray for us, but greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. What does that mean? That does not mean that we walk around kissing each other. Do not try to greet me with a holy kiss. I will greet you with a holy punch. 
There are two people in the universe that are allowed to kiss me, and they both have my last name and live in my house. And my dog, but we don't we won't talk about that. I can't stop him. What am I going to do? No. Hey, what? I don't complain. Wallace is awesome. He's the best dog in the world. Anyway, don't get me sidetracked. Got to stay focused. I put you... He, he is... He's got this personal investment. He wants them to be comforted in Christ's promises of peace. He calls them to faithfulness and honesty, not because as the authority figure it's good for him, but because it is what we are called to be. He puts his own personal signature at the end. He encourages the church that they these letters be read to everyone. Why? Why? Because this is really what he wants. At his heart, Paul wants the church to know the peace of God, no matter how difficult the circumstances are. He wants the believers to to be honest and come to themselves. And we'll deal with this. My Bible study is going through Romans. We're going to deal with the inner life of a believer and sin and all those things in great detail in that that Bible study. But... um, Paul looks at the church and he says, look, I know life is hard. I know there are conflicting authorities. I know that the world has turned against you. I know that your brothers and sisters have passed. I know that there are false teachers trying to influence you and control you. I know there are these false letters under my name being sent to you. I know all of that. But what I want for you is peace. What I want for you is is to be together. He says, you should be able to greet a brother with a holy kiss. There should be nothing between you. That doesn't mean there isn't conflict. It doesn't mean there isn't disagreement. But that those conflict and disagreements, when we're honest about them, we can accept them and still love one another. And in 2 Thessalonians, he says, I want this for you at all times, in every way. I would contend that if we we were willing to live with Paul's example and our desire for others to have peace and truth and honesty and faithfulness, and if we were really living with this, it would be such a tremendous encouragement to those people around us. When we were still in Hooksit back in about 2008 or so, one of our members said to me, he said, why is it that the church is the last place I would be honest about the struggles I have? Now, he wasn't talking about heritage in general. This guy had been Christian for a long, long time. But the reality was he had some very deep-seated struggles, and he knew that if he said something to somebody in the church, rather than getting healing, it was going to become the subject of conversation and gossip and discussion. And so he held it in. And then he said to me, shouldn't the church of Jesus Christ be the safest place in the world? And that just always sat with me. And I said, you know what? If there's, if, there's, if there's one thing we should desire as followers of Christ is to be what Jesus called us to be. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. And that doesn't mean that we stop wars. It means that when there's, there's difficulty and conflict and struggle, whether that's internal or personal, that we are willing to, to speak to the peace of God the Lord of peace in every way and always be willing to embrace what makes for peace 
Now, there are two ways that you can make peace. You can force everybody to agree that you were right. That's the Japan in the 1930s approach. Um, The world will be at peace. It's the Soviet bloc approach back in the Cold War. The argument was, we believe in peace, which means we rule everybody. There's that kind of peace that is not the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ is in diversity. It is in difference. It exists even when there are disagreements and conflict. It, it is, it is not, not just about opinions and ideas, but about being different and being unique together in Christ. And being at peace and being peacemakers is hard. And yet Paul says, this is what I want for you in your time of difficulty. Not that we all just agree, or even that we agree to disagree and just not talk about it, but rather that we find a place where it is it is safe for us to be honest and real as we journey with Christ. And I, I would probably say that is one of the hardest things in the world about being a Christian. Because we all have opinions. We all have strongly held positions. And, and the reality is, that's okay. It's not wrong to disagree. It's not even unbiblical. We find strength and diversity. We find peace in Christ and one another. May the God of peace, may the God of peace, may the Lord of peace, all these statements that Paul leaves the church. Because in the darkness, we're all that each other has. It's us in Christ together, walking through a world that doesn't want to hear from him and wants nothing better than for us to not not share what he's doing. To block and to, to bury and to hide instead of being, instead of living as the church of Christ. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, as difficult as it is, you have called us to live with one another, to work with one another, to serve and minister alongside each other. And in that, you have called us to your spirit's unity, not our opinion's unity. Father, sometimes it's hard to find the road that you've called us to walk. It's hard to find the harmony that we need with those sometimes who we care the most about. Yet you promise to us that you will be our peace. That is difficult to understand with all the pressures and divisions and issues that we face on a daily basis. But Lord, help us to trust you, to take the step of being honest with ourselves, with you, and others. 
to really see what is going on and be willing to put a name to it and be held accountable for it. And Lord, in our conflicts to go through the hard work of of speaking and disagreeing and loving. Lord, in all that we are called to be, above all things, that we might be your people. You are great and glorious. And to you we entrust all of our relationships. Broken and mended, perfect and imperfect. Conflicted and harmonious. Lord, that we might know you first. And in knowing you, know one another better. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.